Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about rhythms for building resilience so you can take charge of your mental, spiritual, and relational health. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's build resilience together. Welcome back to another edition of Rhythms for Life. I'm so glad you guys are joining us, and I hope you're enjoying this season and all the many conversations. We've heard such good feedback from many of you who are walking through this fall, your own journey towards getting more resilient, considering how it affects your family, your kids, your own health. And it's just been fun to to see the feedback and to hear how much so many of these conversations ends up inspiring you and you enjoy sharing them with friends. And I've talked to many of you who say you share them with your spouse and you listen to them when you're on your drive. And that's what Rebecca and I's hope is, is that these become conversations that encourage you, that let you know you're not alone, that let you know we're walking through these same things. We're trying to learn. We're trying to figure these things out as we parent, as we try to lead right where we've been placed. And so I think today's conversation with Christine Kane is going to do the very same thing. And I'm excited to have Christine Kane back with us because she's someone that many of you hear a lot about her story and journey, whether it's on social media or maybe you've heard her speak at a conference, but you don't always get to hear kind of the up close and personal life that she lives, the the rhythms that she's put into place. And so just a moment, you're going to get to hear more about that. But I also want to encourage you, we'd love for you to come join Rebecca Knight. There's two opportunities right now to do that in November here in the Nashville area. The first is November 10th and 11th where we actually are part of hosting through our organization, Think Media. We host an event called the Next Gen Summit. And some of you have been listening to this. Maybe you've listened to the episode that had Pierce and Kennedy, our kids, involved. And it's an event that's designed just for Gen Z and younger millennial leaders who are trying to navigate faith in today's culture. And many of you know that's the work that I spend the majority of my time on is working on how do we help leaders understand how to navigate culture. And so we've created this summit in Nashville. It's amazing. We have so many different presenters, people like David Platt. There's going to be Matt Chandler. We're going to have voices uh, like Faith Yuri Cho, who you heard from on this season of the podcast, and many others, over 30 different speakers and topics, trying to address what does a young leader need to know about how their faith applies to current culture. And so I want to invite you to come be a part of that with us. You can learn more about it at nextgensummit.com. That's next without the E because that's how the cool kids are doing it these days. So nextgensummit.com in the show notes, you can click through and come and be a part of that or send your child over to us or your college student or someone in your life that's in their 20s and, and you know that they would love to be part of a community of hundreds of other leaders who are trying to think well about this current moment. And then secondly, our Rhythms Retreat is just about sold out. I think there's just a few seats left by the time this airs. And so go to RebeccaLines.com slash retreat, and you can learn more about that to join us November 16 and 17 here in Franklin for that amazing retreat. Learn more about it there. Um, But as we move into the conversation today, you're going to get to hear about Christine Kane's habits, some of the ways in which she physically works out, the way she thinks about her physical relationship to her fulfilling her calling. Um, we, we talk a lot about what it means to age well and what it means to think about these rhythms that must be incorporated daily behind the scenes. Nobody knows you're even doing them, but they're critical to have your highest levels of energy to do the things that God's called each of us to do. I think you're going to be encouraged. I think you're going to get some tips out of it. And I'm excited for you to listen to Rebecca and I's conversation with Christine Kane now. 
Welcome back to the podcast. Chris Kane is in the house, and I am so excited for this conversation. We love you and are so glad you're here. I'm fired up. I love you guys. We've done a little bit of life together now for a few years. We have. Yes, and it's been so fun following you and Nick and your family and and just the way that you have lived out your vocation, your calling, your anointing, like in so many different spaces has been I know for many people listening they've they've appreciated that and and one of the things we're talking about this season as it relates to rhythms and resilience is how do we embody these ideas? How do these just not become another to-do list of things to think about, but it's actually things that we start to put into practice. And I know for you, that's been a big part of this last season. I'm just watching you accomplish all kinds of goals, work hard physically outside, exercise, hiking, like you're doing all kinds of things. And I just want you to let our audience into that. Like what's been happening for you? Where did that start for you? To decide you were going to kick it up a gear, um, and <laughs> she she's always kicking it not, up a well, gear. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> she's the outlier. But in this physical space, I mean, maybe it's just because of social media. I see it more. But like, has have you taken on like a, a different approach these last few years to that? I've done something different. I think my whole Christian life, well, my whole life, um, I have always had a very all-in body thing. Now, what happened in 2020, what you're specifically, I think, referring to is that I took up hiking mountains, which is something that I didn't do. Um, The reason I hadn't done that before is I travel so extensively, as you guys know. So everywhere I went in all of my travels for 35 years of ministry, I would always be outside running. Normally I would go, you know, a five-mile run, um, and then I'd go through different seasons, half marathons, whatever. Um, but 2020, of course, the world shut down. And so then I had, I was doing lots like this on Zooms. I was still sort of going for it ministry wise, but obviously not having to get on a plane and travel around the world. It freed up a lot more time. So my friend that had been hassling me for ages um, to come hiking. Now I have, you know, a paranoid fear of snakes. I live in Southern California. Rattlesnakes are part of the uh, terrain. And so I like animals from a distance. I like them behind a glass. Um, I'm not one that is that into animals in the flesh. But I realized, so there was two things. I realized it was a fear that was actually crippling me to the point that um, I love nature, I love being outside, and I thought I literally am not doing this because I'm terrified. That That is actually the bottom line truth. And I wanted to put a demand on my body. Now, that demand had always been on my body just to physically be able to do what I do with the amount of travel that I do, um, which is disproportionate to most people. I've always had a demand on my body. So no, no matter where I landed, wherever I was speaking, I would always go to the gym. I'd always be in the gym an hour a day. So I always had that. It was very woven in. People go like, how do you have such a you know, a vast teaching schedule and you go to different countries and time zones. Well, the physical component, eating healthy, sleeping and working out has always been a part of my life. Maybe it's not what was focused on on social media, but I couldn't physically do what I've done. I'm 57 this year. There is no way I could have done this for 35 years uh, without that. So then I said, I'm going to start doing it, which then I had to put a whole different demand on my body when it came to elevation, uh, training different muscles. Uh, I thought I was fit because I used to run until you start doing 4,000 and 5,000 feet of climbing and you're doing it at altitude. So I had to, and it was 
it was literally life transforming, I would say. That's a very big statement. But it kicked me. I think when I started at the time I was 54, it kicked me into a whole new level. And I knew something had to shift. If I was going to do the next decade, 15 years, I'm kind of thinking down that lens now. Um, And by God's grace, still be strong, still be fresh. I had to put a demand on my own physical body to kick. I didn't want to get complacent during COVID. That was the bottom line. I didn't want to get lazy. Um, We were all in sweatpants. No one was wearing hard pants. Um, You know, you only ever saw someone from this way up. And I thought I've always been someone that's I've got to disrupt something physically for me personally. And then it sort of follows through spiritually for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the brain loves novelty. And when you've done the same rhythms, even though they're very healing and transformative and give you the energy, if you, you're right, like if you actually want to elevate and like look with a different perspective and optimism for the next decade, you have to shake it up and do things different. And um, I have not hiked uh, mountains, but in the last three years, I have played golf a lot, like a ton. And I took lessons and I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this, if this is this godly enough or whatever. But what it wound up being was permission to play. And then I really decided to push myself in just actually caring. And um, and I just kept talking to neuroscientists that were like, no, it's the novelty of a new challenge that actually is a healing for your brain. And then it also inspires you to try new things. And it doesn't, it be, might begin with scaling mountains or picking up a hobby that you just never felt like you could do. But then it grows into new areas of ministry, like, oh, now I'm going to launch this. Now I just started seminary last week. And I'm thinking I, I was not going to say yes to any of those things three years ago because I was doing the thing I was doing. But if you keep doing what you're doing, then you don't have the opportunity to grow. Yeah, we both read a book called Younger Next Year that there's one for men. I feel men, like you could have written that book, by but the way. It, I'm going to write it down. Who wrote oh, that? Oh, listen, it's, it's awesome. I don't know. I can't remember the time. <laughs> I've read it. There's a women's version, so Younger Next Year for Women, and you're living it. It's basically at 50, um, you trick your body into staying 50 until you're 80, which is what, yeah, exactly and, what you're and doing. And what, what they basically say is your full-time job when you turn 50 is six days a week. The only thing you should be thinking about is making sure you get 45 minutes a day of a little bit of an intensity, heart rate up type exercise, which could be from hiking. It could be from you know, walking fast. It could be cycling, swimming. And then you work out two days a week with resistance training because you're losing literal bone and, and your muscles are going to deteriorate. But the, the idea is you, you trick your biological clock into thinking you're still 50 all the way till 80. And then at 80, your body will decline. There's like, it's that point. There's, there's nothing you can do about it. But it was but you still go. so interesting to, to just recognize that, your full-time job is this. And I, and I think for a lot of people, you know, they still think their full-time job is, you know, whatever earns them income, not realizing if their health starts to go, like you said, how do you go the next 10 or 15 years? How do you travel? How do you fulfill mission and opportunity that God puts in front of you? You can only do that if you've taken care of the temple, if you've made sure that, you know, you're staying in shape. So you've been doing that. It's been fun to to, to watch and I think inspiring to other people to just see that, yeah, there's there's no limit to the things we can take on. But for you, what has it done for you as it relates to your ministry work, which people know you for your writing of your books and speaking, but how have you seen it even in these last couple of years uh, continue to elevate even your ability to fulfill what you've been called to do? Yeah, I think in every way. I um I am being enriched in scripture in a way that I never was because obviously I'm doing a whole new thing. So 
I'm noticing nature, creation um, in scripture. You, so you even uh, how you read the Bible is different. I, I did like Rebecca starting now seminary. I did four years at Wheaton during this period as well. So it's kind of like I did mountains and grad school. Um, both of those things really, really, I think, have set me up for going into my 60s. I mean, of course, I've still got three years to go, but I am very mindful that 60 is sort of the next milestone. And so it has kept me fresh. It's kept the word alive for me. And I love it because I love that you just said golf too, because the next thing I said to Nick, um, I'm at, we're about to move. Um, and so I said, there's a golf course right next to where we're moving. And I said, that's it. Assign You're me gonna up. Love I'm going to do lessons. <laughs> because cool. now, We're going to play. Yeah, with, that's what I want. I'm like, we're going to do that. And with the mountains, you have to allocate a lot of time to do that. Now that I'm sort of back in, you know, I just did a lap of the globe and did 10 countries. It is hard. Like I make sure I put in where I can. If I'm in a country, like I was in Slovenia, there's the Julian Alps. It was like, okay, I'm going to add two days so that I can do a really good hike. But even to be able to do that, you know, it's one thing to go, I'm going to do a 12 or 13,000 foot mountain with 6,000 feet of elevation, but you have to do your training before that. To be, it's not just like I turn up on the day and wow, here sure. I'm going to go. If I haven't done the work before it, it depletes me more than replenishes me. And because of the way I'm wired up to just do halfway, I can't do that. So it's like, um, I've had to now make another adjustment and go, okay, now that ministry and I'm sort of taking on a new global role for something new, which means I'm going to be in and out of continents a whole lot more. I feel strong enough to do it. I actually think it's prepped me for these new opportunities that God's opened because you get to my age, you don't know, am I physically going to be able to do it? Um, when I was younger, you've got energy and drive and passion. So sometimes you're not even sure if really the Holy Spirit's leading you or your own desire and drive is leading you. So when you're younger, like you're just going for everything. At my age and stage, and God's given me a great opportunity to do a lot of things, it's not really the next invitation that's going to get me out of bed. It's not like, you know, I've gone, by God's grace, I've had the opportunity to preach in almost a hundred countries. God has graced me to see the world. So it's not like I'm waiting, you know, wow, this is going to be awesome in that way. It's not, I mean, I'm always grateful and I always want to serve the Lord. So it needs uh, something more to continue to be obedient and have that long obedience in the same direction that we all talk about. I have had to physically disrupt my life so that I could actually it's more a soul realm thing than a spiritual thing. So spiritually, do I want to run my race and finish my course? Yes. Am I seeing a whole bunch of women, 60 plus, that are, are running wholeheartedly? Well, not necessarily. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying there's just, you know, there's not that many. That, there's a lot less than there was when I was 30 and 40. And you could sort of look at the next decade and go, they're still going, they're still happening. Um, some of the people that I've done life with, or I know they're very intentionally slowing down. What I mean by that, I'm not saying life doesn't slow down. I've had to make adjustments. Of course, your body changes, but I mean, in your heart and spirit of really pursuing God, they, they sort of settle into a retirement mentality when it comes into the things of God. I don't think we have to develop that mentality. I think we could be like Caleb, who said at 85, I'm as strong now as I was then. Now give me this mountain. Now, it's not the same mountain as when I'm 20 and there's a drive and a desire and, Lord, what are you going to do through my life in ministry? Now, to be honest, it's actually more challenging because it's like it's not for a thrill of anything that's going to thrill me in my soul realm. It's I want to be obedient 
to the end. I want to make sure that I've run my race and finished my course, which means at this phase, there's a lot less people I can look at. And I have to be increasingly fixing my eyes on Jesus and going, some people are going to think I'm crazy. They're going to be like, you should be slowing down or you shouldn't be doing, you know, whatever. I can't even live by anyone else's measure. Somewhere um, I've got to dig deeper and the digging deeper for me comes out of physical. I mean, even before I got on this, I've got a whole bunch of Zooms today. I do an hour on the elliptical every day, no matter where I am in the world, because, you know, I can't find five hours to go climb a mountain. So it's like that is the first thing. So I think I'm living that book without reading it. Before I do anything anywhere in the world is I am going to go and I'm going to make sure in every single day there is, and I do elliptical because it saves my knees and it saves my joints. And so because, so it means I could still get my heart rate up. I'm sweating, getting toxins out. The endorphins are pumping all the natural biological things. And then I'm like, I'm ready to go. I love that. I love the practice of it all, right? Because you're right. Yes. You, you, we could all be talking about working out, you know? We can, like, think about it and, you know, even put it on the calendar. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, but you've made a priority of practice that you are embodied. And I, I think what I've really awakened in the last few years more than ever, probably since writing Rhythms and living it and having to live it so that my mental health was restored, quite frankly, that the anxiety is, it was always just a hope that I would stop feeling the anxiety all the time. But when I actually got vigilant about the practice, mental health is not a theory, but a practice that um, it really actually was restored. And it was through God's healing work and his power, but also just the embodiment that so much is talked about in scripture, but we don't always, we kind of read the scripture as if it's it's information to put in our brain, but not always something to live out. And I, I have a question for you based on what you were just sharing about your 50s. I, I, I have always, since I've known you, just looked at you and watched you and kind of watched you in these trajectory shifting seasons into the next decade. And you've modeled it so beautifully, a faithfulness on all fronts. And I am curious in your mid-50s. I'm I'm a few years behind you. I'll be 50 next year. So I'm like, if Chris looks that good and she's working that hard, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and I'm curious what motivates you now, um, because you're right, zeal or stamina isn't what drives you. Um, it's really, truly a discernment of going, what is God inviting you into that might be new or novel or, and inspiring? So what's inspiring to you as you look into your 60s that kind of makes you come alive? Because you're right, it's not an invitation or a paycheck or, or an opportunity. Um, so what motivates and inspires you as you look into the next decade? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, it's um, a love for Jesus. I mean, of, of course, that's a, a given. And But what inspires me is the future of the church. So the thing that keeps me going is um, the future of the church and the next generation. I think a gift God gave me very early on is this realization that I'm part of a divine relay, that I am not it. And ultimately, it does not matter ultimately how effective or how big our ministry is or if, you know, the, uh, this is the scripture in my early 20s that really spoke to me. It's, it's a bit of a bizarre one, but it's out of Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says, when Joshua and his generation died, another generation arose that did not know the Lord, nor the works that he had done for Israel. At the time, I was a youth leader of a youth movement in Australia. And when I took over that youth movement, so in my 20s, It was the first text that I spoke on. And I said then, way back then, this is the 19, early 1990s before half your people listening to this were born. And um, I said the, the testimony to my fruitfulness 
will not be how effective or big my ministry was or whether people write about me or talk about me. It's whether I've handed on the baton of faith to the next generation because ultimately he's Joshua who saw signs, wonders, miracles, you know, Red Sea's parting and living in the wilderness and River Jordan's going back, Jericho Wall's coming down, taking the promised land. Well, that was good. But another generation arose that did not know the Lord. And I'm like, okay, maybe we need to spend a little bit of time to go, was that ultimately effective if you're not handing on the baton of faith to the next generation? So what keeps me in it at this point and what keeps me like not playing golf five days a week, but going, I think I'm going to fit it into my schedule as opposed to it becoming my schedule and orbiting my life around it because it's a fine line. You can really just, you know, and at my age and stage, people would probably celebrate me if I did more of that. If it was like, oh, you're orbiting your life around gardening or golfing or rather than going, I'm doing these other practices as to in order to enable me to do the thing that God's called me to do. Paul says, this one thing I do, I press on. So at this stage of life, I'm into the one thing. Chris, what's the one thing? Forgetting those things that lie behind, good and bad. So I've had great successes by the grace of God. I've had some failures. Um, you know, I've had life, like it's just life. So do I? am I willing to forget those things that lie behind? Strain, so there's all the effort, new practices, uh, new rhythms. Strain toward what's ahead, I press. So you've got to continue to exert a steady force against What's going to hold you back? Now, at my age, it can be cynicism. It can be betrayal. It can be uh, apathy. It can be just pride. Uh, I've done great and I just want to hold on to that and just, you know, go that I'm going to relish in what God did through me in the past. So it's like I'm going to keep pressing for this one thing, to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of me. So I know I'm not trying to sound spiritual, but it really is what keeps me going. And then I look what God has made sure is that I've got a teenager and a 21-year-old in my house. So they're both girls uh, at my dinner table that remind me that God has, um, this is going to outlive me and what am I leaving for them? So are they going to say, my mum did awesome stuff for 30, 40 years and then, you know, just kind of whatever, sailed into the wilderness and, and just or my mum was so passionate about Jesus every waking moment of her life that until she died or was unable to, you know, keep going, she pressed on. I want them to think and to know, not to think, to know that Jesus is worthy enough for us to keep dying to self, crucifying our flesh and following him. Because at this point, more than ministry excites me, I've got to die to self more than ever to keep going. It's yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I love the legacy thinking about the next gen. That's been a big part, I'd say, the last few years for Rebecca and I, and and what we've been doing through our Think Media organization. We're we're launching a next gen summit this this fall in November, all designed to gather leaders in the Gen Z millennial space to continue to connect and orient in a way that we got to experience when we were young, but it but it wasn't happening easily. It was a lot of work at that age and didn't always have the older generations trying to create that kind of space. And so we're, we're trying to create space for leaders to find one another, to be inspired, to, to be mentored and formed by people who've walked out. A lot, a lot of the areas of, of life that we've seen, the failures and the, and the challenges, but also coming through those things with a strength and a, a resilience and a resolve and a conviction that, that helps them lead. I love that it's not just a legacy, though. You still have expectancy. You carry almost like that childlike wonder, which I think you also model a posture of lifelong learning, right? Because if you're you just always learning, so then you're always 
ideating and creating and preaching and teaching because the Word of God has so much depth and so much vast, like you just can never exhaust it. So when you talk about the future of church, like the expectancy that you have of that, would you mind sharing kind of like what part of the future of the church excites you? Yeah, I think uh, something very significant happened uh, at the beginning of my summer trip, the one we're, that we're talking about. I went to Amsterdam. There was It was the 40-year celebration of when Billy Graham was there, and, and it was truly a global, every continent, major ministries uh, from all around the world. It was called Empowered 21. So it was a very um, an amalgamation of just spirit-empowered churches. So just every stream, every denomination, but that would really be leaning on would certainly have room for the movement of the Holy Spirit in that. But I mean, you had everyone, Anglican, Baptist, you know, uh, Pentecostal, all of them. But that gave me probably for the first time, maybe in five years, a glimpse in my spirit. I kind of thought, of course, you're not done, God. I mean, you know, we've all been part of like, oh, there's been a lot going on. And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of things collapse and um, a lot of things confronted, a lot of deconstruction happening. And you're kind of going, surely the Holy Spirit's not done. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm going, okay, God, I know you're up to something right now. We're in a moment, a dark moment, a painful moment, but there's got to be something going on. Well, I'm smiling because you hang in there by faith, like you're speaking it by faith, but I actually had a glimpse by sight of what the Lord has not stopped doing. Um, you know, sometimes you can just see it through a North American lens and sometimes you can, that can discourage you. Here I am in Amsterdam with, you know, multiplied thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in the arena where Billy Graham was, you know, the Olympic arena in Amsterdam from all streams of the church. So our African brothers and sisters, Asian, South American, European, uh, North American, and, you know, unified in spirit, um, you know, certainly all different on secondary issues, but on the, on the major issues, there's this unity. And then I saw this young generation of extremely positive millennials that were just like, let's go for it. Like from Brazil and Argentina and Guatemala and Nigeria and um, Singapore and Malaysia and Indonesia and all throughout Europe. And I went, oh my gosh, like pinch me, pinch. I mean, full of faith, full of the future of the church. And some of these, you know, 38 to 45 year olds where I think I've been around just so much pain and loss and grief in that age group that uh, and disillusionment and disappointment. It was just, it snapped me out for a minute that, hang on a minute, there's there's also um, people that are thriving and, and pastoring churches of 40,000 people in Argentina and, and um, you know, 50,000 in Peru. And so I, and then Nick and I had the opportunity to go and I'm like sitting in um, you know, churches where they have purchased what used to be bullfighting rings with, you know, 30,000 seats packed three and four times on a Sunday. This is just church, not, not conference. And I'm like, and watching 40 year olds full of God, loving the word of God, full of the spirit of God into, uh, discipling and spiritual formation and the power of God. And I'm going, all these things that have kept us apart, particularly in North America for years, oh my gosh, there's spirit and truth, there's faith and works, there's evangelism and justice, there's men and women. Like I'm just going, God has been doing it um, all around the world. And so I'm watching all of these people unified coming around evangelism and mission, learning from the past, not confusing colonization with evangelism, but not throwing out evangelism because of the fear of colonization and going, 
hang on a minute, I'm talking with Nigerian brothers and sisters and, and Brazilian and, um, you know, Indonesian. There's no issue of colonization here. Everyone's talking about the gospel and everyone's talking about um, the gospel going forward. And of course, the global South, we've read, we, you know, I just did four years in grad school on evangelism and leadership. And I'm like, I was reading textbooks and now I've met the people and you go, this is real and it is happening. And there is um, beauty and peace and joy and goodness and truth. And, and some of those things have been missing just, I think in all of the pain and the suffering and what's been going on in the last few years. And so the smile on my face is like, oh, uh, and I'm, I'm stepping into a global role with that movement um, with women and just helping navigate some of those um, tensions around the world and just like, how are we going to do it? How are we going to create pipelines and pathways? We've been doing it through Propel Ecclesia. So I feel like the last decade has been me fleshing it out here in America and then being able to provide some really theologically robust and um, spirit-filled pipelines and pathways to, to create um, opportunities for for women and churches to work together in all of that. So I'm smiling because I don't even feel like it's up to me. I can step into my role in some cases as a big sister, in some cases as a spiritual mother, in some cases as a spiritual grandmother, depending on where the church is at in those countries. Um, and there's still, and then my own gift of evangelism and mission comes alive, opportunities in Pakistan. And I mean, we're talking arenas, you know, 50,000 people in football stadiums. And I've got men on one side, women on the other side. I'm wearing a head covering and preaching the gospel. You're like, it's still fun for me. So there's that happening. And then also creating leadership, the things that matter to me, creating systems and pipelines and pathways that hopefully uh, will move the thing forward. So I guess when you're saying, what are you seeing? Uh, sometimes you've got to lift your eyes up. I mean, we, we see through a particular lens in the North American evangelical culture. I do need to say, although it is loud, I get it on social media, maybe, um, or just their voices that are loud and because of access to publishing and books and writing that maybe don't exist in other parts of the church. It just doesn't, it's not as readily available as it is in North America. We can think this is the only thing that's happening, but the truth is there are the population of America is only 300 million people. The population of Christians is even less. Those believers as a proportion of the global church, now, now we're talking under 5%. So what I'm actually saying to you is 95% of the church is alive and flourishing and thriving and there's legit persecution happening and there's legit people getting saved and delivered and healed and studying the word. So we have to keep perspective. It's hard to do that. And I think when we're talking about rhythms and practices, you have to disrupt it to get your head out. And I find myself like, so one of the, you know, new patterns coming back into this world I have had to be ruthless with myself about how much time I'm spending on social media, uh, what I'm allowing into my mind, because it takes less than 10 seconds to get back into that that kind of like, going, Christine, this is, you, you know it yourself. It's not just the data. You've experienced it now. This is less than 5% of the Christian church. There is, there is all of this. And I feel like God's opened that opportunity. And I really believe what the Lord's doing in a lot of those continents is actually going to have great uh, impact on what's happening here. And I think it'll breathe fresh life into us. That gives me hope. Yeah. Well, thank you for being with us today and for just giving us perspective on just what your journey's been like these last few years, but then giving us a bit of vision of how you're seeing this future go. I know for 
any group of people you interact with, I know they always leave encouraged. They leave full of hope for what God's up to in the world. They're reminded of all the ways he's been faithful and to keep pressing forward. And I feel like that's what you and Nick have been doing for so many years. And so I know it's encouraging, not not only to hear the vision side, but then practically the way you're structuring your life, your rhythms, your days, so that you can have the kind of tenacity physically as well and mentally um, to be able to continue forward with your calling. We need we need you in the world, and we're so excited for yeah. more people to get to hear how that happens for you. Chris, I'll just say it again. Your zeal has always been contagious, and it, it just like today. And I think you're right. Like we, you can get head down, and you're just reminding us like there's a much bigger perspective, a kingdom perspective, a global perspective. And thank you for bringing that. And thank you for sharing that. And just watching your countenance change as you talk about it, like it's just very contagious. So I'm I'm expectant with you. And I think that's that's that iron sharpening iron, like just saying, but but consider this, look at this, this is what's happening. And telling those stories is so powerful. And I, we've talked about this. I believe what you're saying is happening globally. It will happen here in stadiums. Will people will be filling stadiums to know the Lord, to 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 hear the gospel, to run to Jesus. So I'm expectant with you in that and prayerful. Um, and just thanks for your faithfulness and just keep pushing and letting the Holy Spirit, like walking in step with the Spirit and being obedient. Um, I'm just so grateful to know you as a friend. I love you guys. And listen, you're modeling it as well. I I do want to ask, because I think it's important for people to know, how have you guys stayed full on and keep going? Because you're like, you've been raised in the epicenter of of, of this world. And then Nick and I often talk about, I'm like, how have you kept lifting your eyes to keep lifting the bar for people here to keep looking forward and not being consumed by what could be disappointment and disillusionment and the cynicism of of what has happened in you know in American Christianity well it helped i think saying yes to joy about 5 years ago kind of was just a reminder of what really matters and what the kingdom perspective is in all things and um, remarkably, uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I think by even speaking joy um, over a daughter that we didn't know yet and then bringing her home um, just really helped me uh, bear fruit of joy in my life. And I know that when we are bold, um, there's no fear in love. And so that we can actually love well and be honest um, and be loving and not give into a spirit of intimidation. But also let the joy and and the fullness of that be compelling and let God do the rest. And that has helped. And of course, we're like you. We have kids that are 18, 20, and 22. And so we're watching it. But we just decided shame would have no root in our home. Like there was no topic off limits. Um, I, mom would be full disclosure on things that the Lord has redeemed and restored in my own life and that that would give power of testimony. And when we got to do that with our own kids, we got to do that in our own marriage. There was just so much transformation and healing that kept happening year 25, 26 of marriage even. And so I just think as we are continually revived in our spirit, it's helped us see the world that same way. Yeah. I would just add, you know, we had Cade, who's 22 now, you know, when I think I was 26, 27, so I, I think God With used, Down syndrome. yeah, He really used that to tether us, and that we talk about that a lot now in our life. Like we're not empty nesters; we're we have two that'll probably be with us for life, and we we can't travel the way we probably. If we did not have these two children, we'd probably be moving a lot. There'd be a lot going on, and I think God understood for our life that tethering was going to be important to both 
understand and appreciate the unique ways he's at work in the world that may not always make sense uh, in our own personal life. But then also having each other, he's he's helped us, uh, you know, we can speak honestly to each other and and he's, for some reason, maybe protected us from getting caught up in some of the things that maybe others maybe got caught up in not meaning to, but for whatever reason, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer beyond we're, we're thankful that we're still in this thing together and still trying to see above the fray and trying to see the long-term vision of what God's trying to do in the church right where we're at in North America. And it's what we've watched you and Nick do, John and Lisa do, just marriages that creatively collaborate. Um, while we might vocationally have different expressions, there's always this bouncing back and forth and sharpening that's happening and challenging, like in good, healthy, like disagreements and learning through marriage counseling how to do that better. That's uplifting. But then also even like the recreation of play, um, we really kind of added in the last few years. And so our golf is like a twilight golf after a work day and we bring Kate and Joy with us and she's learning. Oh, wow. She loves it. She was She's putting. So it's just like fun ways to even play with Kate and Joy and get out and like get in nature and um, just a rhythmic life with two kids with special needs that we see in our future indefinitely. And so that's been kind of a sweet way to go, God, this is how you've knit our family. And so what does faithfulness look like in, in vocation inside and outside of the home? Yeah, thanks for asking, Christine. And, and thank you for your friendship and encouragement over these years. And we're excited to watch the new ways he's going to use your gifts and your anointing uh, for the globe. Thank you, guys. I love you loads. Yeah, love you too. Well, I hope that was fun for you just getting to hear that conversation and the ways in which I know I was challenged about my hiking and how much I need to get into the mountains like Christine and and do a different kind of workout. So that's something that's going to be on my agenda this winter. And I want to encourage you to continue to build in rhythms that help you become more resilient. Rebecca's created actually a weekly guide for building resilient rhythms where you can actually take this guide. It's free. It comes directly from her Resilient Life Journal and Planner, but it's something that allows you to start putting into practice the things that you hear about, maybe through podcasts or books that you read, but we don't always take that final step of taking action. And so you can download that for free at RebeccaLyons.com slash RLRhythms. So do that. Also check out our show notes about the Rhythms Retreat as well as the Next Gen Summit. We hope to get to meet you in November. If we've never seen you before and met you in person, come say hello to us. We would love to see you and talk with you. I hope you have a wonderful week.